What we've got here is failure to communicate. And it get hot. I got a lot of. I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down, so it was straight. And then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. With your host, Mike Paul. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Hey guys, welcome back to the Mike Paul cast. I am, of course, your host, Mike Paul. Uh, so this episode, it's not going to be like uh, the ones you've been listening to previously. The biggest difference is that I am not there until about the 35-minute mark. Uh, my brother, Nick Paul, who you should know and love at this point, he's been on about half the episodes, he set up this interview with the one and only Pete Quinones. Uh, Pete, formerly known as Mance Raider, um, is a well-known podcast host in the Libertarian uh, Talk Circle. Nick also picked the content that they wanted to discuss, and it was very largely based off of the first episode of the Mike Paul cast, which was with Matt Erickson, co-host of the Jason Stapleton program, which was, we largely talked about the evils of technology, and he brought up both Ted Kaczynski, the the Unabomber, and uh, Curtis Yarvin, two radically different people. And right away, before we get started, I want to make it perfectly clear that nobody, and I mean nobody at any point in this interview, is condoning or making a hero out of Ted Kaczynski. Uh, We in no way, shape, or form support violence against nonviolent people ever. Um, This is simply talking about what he said in his manifesto in 1995, um, about technology enslaving mankind, um, something that's very revel- relevant today, and something that Curtis Yarvin, also known as Menches Mulbug, has been preaching about recently. Um, it's something that, that warrants the discussion around. Um, but once again, no one's making a hero out of the guy. So I want that to be clear before we even get started. So... Instead of myself being there for the first 35 minutes, um, Nick set this up, like I said, and I could not be there because I had a conflicting event at the same time. And by conflicting event, I mean I'm a father of four, and it was bedtime. <laughs> uh, three of my four kids are in diapers, and my wife's been very supportive and understanding of the podcast, um, but bedtime is the most hellacious and demanding part of the day. I can't simply leave her hanging. Um, When Nick told me it was 6 o'clock, I said, well, I can't be there. Uh, Pete could not reschedule, and I was grateful enough for his time, and I wasn't going to ask him to reschedule. So I asked my buddy, fellow lover of liberty, Chad Webster, to sit in for me um, in case I couldn't make it in. However, they did send me a link to the the, uh, interview in case I could make it for the back half, which I did, and I was very grateful to be there. But once again, um, as this whole podcast is, it's not about me. That's not why you're here. It's about the people that I bring onto the show that are far, far, far more interesting than myself. And that's Pete. So Pete is host of the popular podcast, Free Man Beyond the Wall. He's also one of the creators of the popular documentary, The Monopoly on Violence, which if you have not seen, please go over to YouTube and check out. 
Um, there's a couple other places you can find it. Pete will cover it at the end. Um, but yeah, it's, it was very great content, and I was so happy I could at least make part of the conversation and, and get to talk to Pete, um, you know, via Zoom for once rather than just listen to him uh, as a podcast. Um, he's a very brilliant mind, a very deep thinker, uh, and, and someone that, you know, has a different perspective than anyone else we've had on the show thus far. Also, if you guys have not done so already, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Um, please suggest any guests you'd like to hear. You can email me at themikepaulcast at gmail.com. Um, I did say a couple episodes back I was trying to boycott Facebook, but my wife was supportive enough to actually create a Facebook page. So you can find me there at the Mike Paulcast on Facebook um, or on Parlor at the Mike Paulcast. Also, if you feel generous enough to donate to the show, you can click in the show notes and there is a link to tip one time or monthly to help support the show. Um, we're looking to advertise and to improve our equipment. So we would greatly appreciate any dollar or anything you guys have to offer to help us going forward. So without further ado, please welcome my brother, Nick Paul, my good buddy, fellow lover of liberty, Chad Webster, and the one, the only, Pete Quinones. All right, guys. So tonight on the podcast, uh, Mike, our regular co or our regular host, is uh, not able to make it. He might drop in in a little bit. But filling in today, we have Chad, our friend, and he's going to be uh, joining us with our guest, Pete Canonez, to talk about uh, a little bit of a denser topic than we've talked about so far. So we've had uh, quite a few libertarian guests on. And uh, Pete is a, an anarchist or agorist, or I'll let him describe himself and where he uh, finds himself at the moment. But we are going to talk today about some modern thinkers that really challenge libertarian orthodoxy, not just, uh, you know, if you ever watch like a Vox article that, you know, they talk about how the privatization of X, Y, or Z couldn't work. There are two thinkers in particular that I think actually warrant a response and their ideas are really tough to grapple with. And those two thinkers that we're talking about are from extremely different backgrounds and ideologies, but nonetheless deserve a response. And those two guys are Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, which might come as a shock to some people. That probably sounds insane. And the second one is Curtis Yarvin, uh, who wrote under the surname Mencius Mulbug. So Pete, just a little background, and I know Chad's story is somewhat similar to this. Uh, I mean, I grew up conservative, just kind of Fox News, Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck, kind of conservative. And then when I was a senior in high school, Ron Paul was running in 2012. He had the same last name as me, so that grabbed my attention right away. And then I'm like, hey, this guy actually makes sense, you know? I think his foreign policy, he sounds like a lefty, but, you know, other than that, he actually seems like a, a dude that's, you know, telling the truth. So then, uh, you know, a couple of years later, went down the Rothbard and kind of Mises rabbit hole. Uh, and then here I am today in 2020. So, um, Chad, want to give your, your little few cents here? Uh, yeah, I'm actually a trained scientist, um, political scientist by education. So I have a, a bachelor's in political science. That's a joke because I'm in sales now. Um, but, you know, you can't really get rid of it, can you? But yeah, I had similar come up uh, into everything the way that uh, that Nick did. And, you know, for me, looking at things and the one thing I learned the most in studying political science is how little I wanted to be involved in politics as a career and uh, how much distaste I had for uh, 
politics. Okay. You know, po- political science and, um, and sales. I mean, all sales is, is propaganda. So yeah. it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's all influence at the end of the day. Pretty much. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so Pete, I think we should start with Ted Kaczynski first, because I think there's less to unpack because I think Curtis Yarvin, we might take a little more time because he is uh, such a brilliant mind and such an abstract thinker that it takes a little bit longer to kind of untangle and decipher his ideas. So with Ted Kaczynski, to me, you know, his whole thing was that he believed that technology was going to basically enslave mankind. And already, up until already has. I've, yeah, I mean, when you think, yeah, that's that's what I was really forced to grapple with when I listened to uh, his manifesto. I had never taken like anti-technology arguments seriously. I'm like, yeah, these, everything makes our life better and, you know, takes away just this medial labor and how could it possibly be a bad thing? And then you listen to his manifesto and he talks about how technology starts out as a convenience and then soon enough, it becomes a requirement to participate in society. And to me, that conflicts with free market capitalism because the natural course of free market capital is to innovate. So what kind of impact did that have on you? Well, when I first started reading them, it was really what sucks you in as somebody who, I mean, I guess I came from the right. I, I Yeah, I never really liked Democrats at all. So I would assume I came from the right. I don't know that I had a coherent ideology. Um, I liked Glenn Beck. A lot. I started listening to Glenn Beck when he was on the radio in like 2003, 2004, uh, and before he was on Fox News. So that's where I started getting a lot of my ideology from. But um, his Kaczynski taking down the left, I thought was probably that's what sucked me in. But then he starts talking, making arguments about how look at your life and look how look how much technology is a part of it, how you can't live without it. And he starts talking about how it's, it's caused all of these great advancements, but those great advancements are require people to put more of their time into them. So you have less time as a human being to pursue your, for your pursuits, for your happiness. So now all of your happiness is tied around and not really your happiness, but your life is tied around working and keeping this technology going. And it's very easy to see that. I think that if anything, and this is why I would love to, I want to sit down with him and talk to him so bad right now because I think it was just proven in the last eight months. In the last eight months, it, there's no clearer signal to me that the overwhelming majority of humanity is unhappy, unfulfilled, and looking for some kind of purpose, maybe, in that they allow themselves to be shut down, they allow themselves to have their wealth destroyed, they allow themselves to be locked into their homes, and a lot of them are take, are treating this COVID thing like their own personal march on Selma, their own um, you know, storming the beaches at Normandy. I'm doing my part. I'm so proud of what I'm doing. You know, I wear the mask and, you know, you should wear the mask too. And, you know, I, I social distance. And 
I think the last eight months is really, if you want to see the way people have acted and the way, just the way, what humanity has become, you read Kaczynski and you see, he talks about people just being unfulfilled and unhappy and no clearer signal. I remember I, I posted up on Facebook. I said that, you know, there was no clearer signal that of man's unhappiness and, and the than the fact that they allowed themselves to be the last eight months, what they've allowed and what they've put up with. And if they had lives where they were happy, they were fulfilled and they felt like they were living life to the fullest, they wouldn't have allowed this to happen. I think that yeah. goes directly, that goes directly to uncle Ted. Yeah, no, that is something that, uh, that I completely concur with. And to me, what's wild is, uh, you know, we were talking about on our podcast we recorded yesterday that the reason Jordan Peterson uh, became so popular, and I know you recently discussed this with, I think it was Vin Armani, uh, that you guys talked about this, like people, especially young men, need this sense of purpose. And if people feel like they're doing their part to better the world by shaming their neighbors into wearing a mask and staying home and not spending the holidays with their families, it gives them a sense of meaning. And I don't think there's anything more dangerous than people that believe that they are on a crusade for good. You know, it's like every bad guy thinks they're the good guy. And, uh, you know, I think pivoting to politics here, uh, the political side of this, or no, let's, we'll stay on, on Ted for a minute. We will get to the libertarian stuff. But uh, how, when you read Kaczynski, it's like, you know, he, you're not really sure what he's advocating for. He calls it a revolution. And to me, it's like, Politics is the precursor to whatever society you want to build. Like it's the, you know, the, the non-aggression principle or whatever, or, you know, minimizing government. It's like, that's the starting block. That doesn't solve all your problems. That just solves a big problem right out of the gate. Then you and all of these things. I feel, you know, you solve any political issues. Our culture is like, sense of meaning and purpose and to me that is like a, a more glaring hole than any kind of political policy yeah i mean you said that no, there's nothing more dangerous than someone who's on a crusade yeah there is somebody who's on a crusade who has absolutely nothing going on in their life and those are <laughs> those are the people who get radicalized those are the people who join the ku klux klan those are the people who join you know militia you know I have nothing against militias, but the, the the worst of the militias are the ones, they're the people who join cults and sure. you know, we just see it over and over again. I mean, this COVID really is a cult. Uh, the people who are 100% just absolutely scared, frightened, um, doing their part, you know, feeling like they're, you know, they're, they're in the military right now. Um, th these are dangerous individuals. And th these are the people who the reason why, you know, you can't, can't go on vacation right now you can't visit certain countries it's these people i mean it's not all they would have to do is in mass stand up and say no this is this is bull this is bull we're not putting up with it it's something that's not over 99 percent survivable if you get it i'm not going to put up with it but no these people are just they're unhappy they're miserable um you know and i would like to you know it would be great to see a study of why i mean i would like to see if ted's right if if the if all of this technology, if I look at it from 2012, 2012 forward is the, the age of the extremely online human being. Before 2012, I mean, I was online, but I wasn't online all the time. 
now it's just extremely online and everyone is not everyone, but you know, I would say the overwhelming majority of people are, and I, I don't see, I mean, unless you're doing it for work, unless you're doing it to promote something, unless you're, it's a cause, um, that, that you're out there for, that you're advocating for it. Can, and, you know, and people who have a cause, they, like I said, if they're, if their lives are empty, they can be dangerous. So, yeah, I mean, I just don't, I don't see how people can read Ted um, and see how he talks about the government, how the government, um, I mean, he, he, he almost in like the systems need us trick. He's almost anthropomorphizing the government as a, like an entity. Like, I mean, we know the government is a group of people, um, but he almost anthropomorphizes it to the point where it's like one um, blob. And it, it's hard to argue sometimes, especially when he starts, I mean, the guy predicted and the rise of Antifa um, is, yeah. I mean, people, yeah really need, first, people really need to read him. Yeah. That first half hour where he kind of deconstructs uh, leftist ideology, I was blown away. And he wrote this in 1995. And I mean, if you, I mean, I was born in 94, so I don't know what the political climate was in 95, but I would imagine that it was kind of like just these milk toast Bill Clinton Democrats that looked like, you know, 2010 Republicans, but he got to the heart of progressivism. He wasn't talking about your average Democrat. And right. I think in the last five years, especially, we've seen this rise of the populist progressive left. And uh, those are the people that are dangerous. I mean, the group of people we're talking about, they're the COVID cult, as Tom Woods puts it. And uh, they're also waging economic warfare. They're therefore class warfare and race warfare and all these things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like we've, we're hitting this weird point in American history where we're fighting on so many different fronts. It's like there's, of course, like the whole Donald Trump administration and then the coup that's been attempted against him. And then we have this culture war raging and then all this stuff going on. And I think it is technology. It's, you know, social media and the 24 hour news cycle and all of these things that give people the free time to just sit and dwell on stuff. And, you know, we were talking about this yesterday too, but you know, you remember the commercials in like May and uh, June, I guess they're still going on, but all these commercials that would talk about like these horrible, difficult times that we're in. And we were laughing about it. I don't watch TV. I, I don't watch TV. Oh, I, I don't see it. Uh, you're sorry. better God, for it. Yeah. yeah. God bless you. And, and think that. about but, that. Think about that. Let, let's can I, if I can stop you right there. Um, yeah. What is one, what, what is one, like, there's memes going around how to solve this problem. Turn off your TV. That's technology. That's Ted. That's Ted saying, get rid of this piece of technology and you'll be happy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, that's where it's, it's not even a political uh, policy that affects that change. It's like, how do you wake up your neighbors and your community? It's like getting people away from uh, nonsense that's being pushed on them. And it's like, no, focus on going and picking up your kids from baseball practice and, you know, grilling and talking to your neighbor. It's like, that's what actually as cliche and as old and tired as it sounds. It's like, you know, just be the change you want to see in the world. And nobody has that mentality. It's like everybody sees what's going on and they have their angle on it and they want some kind of totalitarian government policy to correct it for them. And uh, yeah, I just, when I read Ted, it's, it was this idea that I'd never considered once like, oh, how do we tackle this problem? And it's like, do you use government for shut it down? It's like, well, first it'll ever, it'll ever happen. 
I don't think Koreanism on any scale because people simply want it. It's a small percentage of the population that's even wired to even be predisposed to believing in the ideas of liberty. I think the best you can ask for, and I know you somewhat agree with this as you're, you know, an agorist, but the best you can do is just kind of build your own arc while the storm is rolling in and just, you know, drop out of society, use cryptocurrencies, you know, build your wealth and just try to tune out all the noise. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all. That's the only thing I can preach right now. People are like, well, if you don't take care of yourself. Yeah, and, you know, Yarvin says the same thing. It says, take care of yourself. At this point, you just take care of yourself. You know, there's not, you know, he, he's actually, you know, written a lot of articles about, you know, ways that coups could happen, ways that you could destroy the left and way, ways that, you know, basically you could, if you had somebody, and this is, this is questionable too, somebody who was good, you know, somebody who was better than the others who could destroy all the, the worst parts of the government and, um, you know, institute something else, move somewhere else, um, that would be good. But there's nothing like that now. It cannot, there is no, I mean, even the people can't rise up and take over the government. I mean, the, or, or destroy the government um, because it's too decentralized. You know, it's like the 1917 revolution in Russia. It was so centralized. You know, you had, you had the, after the March revolution, you had the council, they knew where the council was, you knew what you needed to do. And they could basically, they basically did the revolution over overnight. It was pretty much over. It, it took a few days, but it was pretty much over overnight. How do you do that now? I mean, the ATF's in one state and, you know, the, the DEA is in another state. You got, I mean, everything's so decentralized. You can't, if you tried to do it, it would be, it would be impossible. So, you know, you have to figure out if it can't be done. And the only thing that you can fall back on is you have to start taking care of yourself and maybe look for like-minded people that you can team up with and, um, and just go from there. That's, you know, yeah. that's basically what, basically what I'm doing right now. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. And uh, it's a guilty pleasure of mine that I still pay attention to the political circus just because it's entertaining, but oh, I, I do don't too because any hope. Yeah. I do too, because it's, it's not only entertaining, but it's, um, you learn from it, you know, and that's important to me. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of touched yeah. on, um, it's, uh... well, we kind of touched on Ted, you know, considering the government and entity and as decentralized as it is, it, it seems as though that that's somewhat true now too, in the sense that people treat it like religion. I mean, you know, people that's all they care about. And, and I think it ties back to, to what you were saying is that they're just unhappy. They need something to live for. Like, well, this is the way this is, this is uh, what we need to do for the, for the greater good. Right. Yeah. You know, and what's funny is I'm talking to more people who are going back to the church that they're looking for community. They're looking for authority um, even people that I know that, you know, would call themselves libertarian or whatever, they're, they're seeing safety in numbers in like-minded people. And so <laughs> that, that may become a haven. It looks like it's becoming a haven for some people. And that all goes back to the fact that, you know, there was a church at one time that was tied to the state and you had the reformation and then, the church became more independent and you had 
thousands and thousands, literally thousands of um, denominations pop up and everything. And people drifted away from the, from the church and they went to the state and the state has become a religion for, I would say, you know, probably most of the world. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Africa, I don't know. I mean, they, they really, you know, don't trust our governments there, but um, in the West, at least, you know, the, the state has become a religion. So, you know, it, I, you know, I don't think it's, if you start seeing, articles and things written about church attendance going back up and especially if people start going back to the Catholic church, I think you'll have, it'll be a signal to the fact that people are um, becoming either distrustful of the state or just not, not trusting in it at all anymore. Yeah. And you know, that's uh that's another reason why recently I've been really distancing myself from the term libertarian uh, for a few reasons. Number one is, it, it, to most people, it just conjures images of Gary Johnson and Joe Jorgensen, and I don't want them to have any preconceptions about what I actually think and how I think about the world. So that's that's number one. But number two, like I'd mentioned before, is I don't think you're ever going to have any significant number of voters that actually want these policies implemented. It's like, I don't think Ron Paul was elected to Congress for so long and had such a uh, successful presidential run because his constituents were these hardcore ministers. I think, you know, comes off as a very nice guy. People thought, oh, that's that doctor from, yeah, he's, he's a great guy. Seems like. And I said, uh, you know, when we were listening to uh, Yarvin on your podcast, and I love this because I'm a huge Tolkien fan, and he was talking about Lord of the Rings. And he's saying, if you don't have a plan to destroy the ring, don't fuck around. You know, it's like this, this power structure is going to beat you. And I, I remember having this thought like four or five years ago. I'm like, oh, Ron Paul was Frodo. He was like the unlikely hero trying to destroy it. And then, you know, the ring wraiths got him. He didn't get to Mount Doom. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, so those are a couple of the reasons uh, why I'm distancing myself. The third thing is because like you were talking about, if people don't have the state, they go to church or they go to, they form local communities and churches are a, a great uh, way to organize that. And I feel like libertarians in general are so individualistic that they won't form a coalition and that's to their own detriment. It's like, it doesn't matter if that's how you think about the world, that this ultimate individualism, if you don't collectivize on some level, you're going to lose. And that's just the reality. Well, I, I think no one hates uh, a libertarian as much as another different libertarian. There's, there's so much, you know, in, in fighting within yeah. libertarianism. Well, I mean, it, it's easy to fight when you when you lose all the time. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, yeah. As a as a Bears fan, I know that that's uh <laughs> that's been rough. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So so Pete, what exactly was it about Yarvin's arguments? Where were you before you really came across this stuff? Uh, when was that? And then what was it specifically that really made you uh, look at the world a little bit differently? Well, I mean, yeah, I was just a plumb line anarcho-capitalist. And towards the ending of 2019, beginning of 2020, uh, I stumbled across his old article, um, Why I'm Not a Libertarian. And I had to go through it a couple of times because, you know, he writes flowery and, you know, he throws in a lot of references that you might have to look up because it's just, you know, he's so well-read. He's just mixing things in. But... 
what it really came down to is when COVID hit and I was watching the way people were reacting to it. And it's like, okay, what are the answers? Okay. How do you, how do you talk to these people to let them know that everything's going to be okay, that um, the government's the one screwing this up. The, The government's the one that's doing this. It's causing all these problems. I mean, they still don't know what COVID is. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not even 100% convinced that, that I believe these vaccine stories. I mean, because they just, they don't know. It's like, so now it's, okay, it's, it's um, airborne. Okay, so it's like, okay, it was airborne in, in March. In March and April, all I heard was it was airborne. Then it wasn't airborne again. Now it's airborne. Did they figure something out? How am I supposed to trust them? So, I looked and I said, okay, what are, what are the libertarian solutions to this? And really there were none. Um, I mean, you could say whatever you want, you know, it's like, um, sure. There are private communities could say, Hey, you were in China. You can't come into this community, yada, yada, whatever. Um, I mean, I just, then you start looking at it more philosophically and you're like, okay, there in order for there to be change and let's talk about the libertarian party in order for there to be change politically you have to get into the system this system is designed to be dirty for you to get in there for you to get power consolidate power pull more power to you and destroy your enemies that's everything that libertarianism isn't. It's totally, yeah. it's totally against the non-aggression principle. You know, so if you go in there, if you get someone elected, liber- a libertarian elected, and they go into the system and they start playing the game of, well, we're gonna, I'm going to consolidate power. I'm going to pull people to me. I'm going to destroy my enemies. They basically, they're not a libertarian anymore. So yeah, yeah. have you ever, have you ever heard in the past <laughs> where people, people will say, um, libertarianism is astrology for white men no i haven't heard that but that's pretty hilarious (laughs) it really is because it's you're all you're doing all we're doing is playing fantasy it's like oh what could be well how do you get there well you're either going to have to take political power everything's going to have to fall apart well how are you going to make that happen well Well, are you going to are you going to become political and then you're going to become a part of the swamp and to do the things, I mean, Ron Paul was in there for how how many terms? Twelve. It, what changes did was he able to institute? Thomas right. Massey, what's he doing? What's Ron Rand Paul doing? What are these? What are these people? In order for them to do it proper, they would have to act like Pelosi, McConnell, and all of the swamp creatures. Otherwise, they're there just collecting a paycheck. Maybe they're. Yeah, maybe they're able to get a message out and pull some people in and everything, but okay, that's great. We had a Ron Paul revolution in 2008 and 2012. What has that got us? Donald Trump, now Joe Biden? What's it done? It's Other libertarian. Other than converting uh, people, yeah. <laughs> libertarian, I mean, yeah, but, but I mean, the, the ideology itself is you, it, it, not utopian, okay? But it's impossible. 
when you look at the world around you, it's impossible to believe that you're going to be able to do this unless there is a radical shift in evolution. I mean, there's, well, you're going to have to have a, you're going to have to have a shift in evolution. Yeah. You know, uh, I think after, I think it was like April or May, I was looking at the feds balance sheet and it was just these ridiculous made up numbers that took them six years to accumulate from like 2008 to 2014. They did it in a matter of two months. And at that point, I'm like, I'm not even, I'm not even upset about the money printing. It's like, I would like people to know, uh, you know, when we have massive inflation and financial uh, bubbles pop, I want them to know why that happened. It wasn't Donald Trump's fucking tax cuts. Like, of course, they're going to say, uh, but at a certain point, I'm like, yeah, just, just do it. All right. I guess I'll just buy gold and Bitcoin and uh, just let it happen. Yeah. Why not send out more stimulus checks? Like just, you know, it's kind of this uh, accelerationist philosophy. But yeah, you're right though. It's like, at what point, what do we realistically uh, think could actually turn the tide and, and create political power? Because like you said, they don't believe in wielding it, which I mean, hey, good on you for being principled, but what's that really going to get you at the end of the day? Yeah. And, you know, it's like um, you, you were just saying, like people, people used to bring up UBI and universal healthcare. And I used to like argue for, I used to argue against it. I don't care anymore. Okay, it's inevitable. Come on, what am I going to do? I'm going to waste my breath educating people that about what UBI is and what what it's going to be. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's it's if the last eight months has taught you anything, I said as soon as it started happening, it's setting us up for UBI. It's setting us up for universal healthcare, and it's perfect in doing it because it has to do with the health industry. And there's going to be a whole bunch of people who are going to be like, "Well, I can't get the vaccine, or I can't, you know, I, I can't get treated and everything." And that's going to be the argument once, you know, probably when the new administration goes in there. Um, I don't know if there'll be a single payer system, but they will go back to or even expound uh, expand upon Obamacare. And then there's going to be UBI and UBI is perfect because they, what do they do? They made people stay home and they're going to blame it. You know, and it's like, we know that the government made people stay home, but everybody says, oh, this is because of COVID. Well, it's not because of COVID. It's because of the way the government, the way the government responded to it. I, I'm just at the point where it's, I'm, I'm just out there trying to educate um some philosophy, politics, help people to understand politics, a little more political power, political force, um, which is one thing I don't think, I, I think that libertarians understand political violence because when they talk about the government, they always go to the violence of the government, but they don't understand the force of the, of the government, uh, of political force, and they don't understand political power. If, if they understood political power, there'd be no libertarian party. Because the first thing you have to do when you join the Libertarian Party is click a box saying that I agree with the non-aggression principle. Well, if you agree with the non-aggression principle, you have no hope of succeeding in politics. Because all those people who are already in Washington, D.C., they don't give, they don't care nothing about the non-aggression principle. So how do you defeat that? How does three or four people operating upon the non-aggression principle. You know, I mean, the non-aggression principle should be personal for you for your life. I mean, that's it. I mean, expect, and then you, someone would get into politics and think that they could still hold that politics. Really? Have you looked at, has anyone read history? So anyone looked at history, the non-aggression principle, and you're going to run for office on that. 
you're out of your mind. What the hell do you think you guys are doing? Well, Pete, I'll tell you the two strategies that kind of give me a little bit of hope. Uh, number one is kind of the inevitable, eventual uh, bankruptcy of the federal government. And maybe when that happens, the empire will kind of be reined in. And then we'll have some system of decentralization, some sort of federalism, where maybe some people who believe in small or no government can secede and create their own communities. And, you know, see that's a feasible uh, and the second option is just subverting existing political parties. Like if you can ally yourself with the left on some anti-war stuff, not that they're really anti-war anymore, but you get the point. Or if you could ally yourselves with Republicans, you know, run as a libertarian Republican and actually try to influence the base and, you know, infect people with these ideas, because there is such a thing as libertarian populism. You know, it's like most people, uh, when we had Scott Horton on uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, uh, or he was saying that the war in Afghanistan is both the least supported and the least opposed war in American history. So it's people don't really, there's no energy behind reigning in the empire, but there's also no more uh, clamoring for it. So it's like if you had some prominent voices that were really good and understood influence that could actually reach the public and get them motivated about these things, I mean, things probably still wouldn't change, but then you have a chance to actually you know, one by one go through these policies. And yeah, if we could get a, a federal decriminalization ban or, or marijuana ban lifted, uh, that would be great. Or if we could start ending some wars, that would be great. It's like all you're going to have are these really small victories. And it's like, it's, it's worth a shot if we're going to lose anyway. We're not going to take over the White House or any significant portion of Congress, but maybe we can have some small victories. But why would you waste the money and the time when you could be using that money and the time and that time to improve yourself. Oh, well, I mean, I'm not going to run for office. That's what I'm doing personally. <laughs> but hey, if, if there was a, a good candidate for my local uh, district that was running on those ideas, I for sure would would vote for him. And it's still just like your podcast, right? You're reaching thousands and thousands of people that are hearing these ideas and there's going to be a ripple effect where they talk to somebody else. And while, like I mentioned before, I don't think it's ever going to be the majority of the population, I think the more people that we can influence, even if it's maybe 5% of the population that is even open to these ideas, if they heard the perfect pitch at the right time in their lives, it's still worth fighting for a little bit, even if it's not for uh, political office, just trying to affect some kind of change on the cultural level. I, mean, I just, I can't agree. I'm sorry. Well, I, mean, I, just the... I just can't agree. I mean, I just, it doesn't, 5% at this point is like, I mean, that is Pollyanna. I mean, that is just, I, I 5% of what? I don't know if there's 5% of people who'd be willing to go out and protest against the lockdowns or at war. I anything. think, yeah, I, that, that was just a, a rough number, but I mean, there are a lot of people that listen to your podcast and, you know, Dave Smith and Tom Woods and, I, you know, it is, again, a very small minority of the population, but we're still doing it, right? You're still doing your podcast and on some level, not admitting defeat where you're trying to reach people. So I'm not saying that there's any kind of sweeping political change that we're ever going to affect because I don't believe that. Uh, I just think the more people in your personal life that you can happen across and kind of try to uh, to unplug them from the matrix, the better. That's That's my general belief on that. Yeah. I mean, and if you want to do that, that's fine. I just wouldn't expect any, any large victories out of it. 
Um, it's just, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's, it's not going to happen without an act of God or evolution or nature or whatever anyone said, you know, whatever anyone wants to say. Um, because if people haven't risen up this year, I mean, one thing that I'm fairly convinced, no, that I'm 100% convinced of is that the majority of the United States citizens, and I'll even put the gun owners in here, they don't have a line in the sand. There's no line in the sand at this point that can be crossed by the government that they're going to go, no, no. And if there is, that number is so low as to be marginalized and called white nationalists. And you know, then you're going up against that power system again that the non-aggression principle is not going to allow you to fight against. Yeah. I mean, Chad, have you seen any meaningful change in your beliefs since this whole COVID, uh, you know, revelation kicked off? Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I tend to agree with you, Pete. I, I, I don't, it seems like at this point, if people are going to stand up, they, they would. Um, but, and it's kind of surprising, um, to me. And I, and I do wonder, you know, Mike and I have been friends a long time, you know, we've got friends, and I always wonder, you know, if, if word came down to say, hey, you got to go gather up guns, would he do it? And, you know, I fear that if he was told to do it, he would do it. Yeah. Could I jump yeah. in? Nice to see you, Pete. I'm hey, sorry. I'm a little late what's, here. <laughs> what's going on, man? Not too much. I really appreciate your time. No problem. Um, yeah, so exactly what Chad was saying. I've noticed just with the with the COVID lockdowns, during the initial first one that happened in the spring, everybody was kind of uh, like relaxed, like we're all on your side. The National Guard isn't going to come take over your life. We're, like, we're all in this together. Um, and it was kind of like, okay, maybe we're overreacting. You, you settled down. You, it wasn't quite the crazy measures that we were worried about. But now that we're going through this next lockdown, um, and I'm not sure if you guys covered this yet, but um, – one of our towns locally sent out a, uh, another lockdown measure, this tier three that Illinois just went into and the health department came into a local restaurant and shut it down like a high school party and made everyone get up and pay their bill and box up their food and leave. This didn't happen the first time. The first time was more like we advise you stay home. Now it's like, go home. But it's all going to go away after the election. <laughs> sure doesn't feel yeah. that way. You know, we talked to uh, Gene Epstein been, last week. I've been I've been teasing people about that one for months. Just like, okay, sure, let's see what happens. Oh, you mean they're doubling down after the election? You know, I don't like being right all the time. I really don't. I'd rather I be wrong because I'm usually the one who's like, things are getting, things could be really bad. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, when have measures ever been put in place that have been crept back in history? Yeah. I was using the TSA example for a while and Tom Woods told me, he said, yeah, but you know, people just don't fly that often. So if they have to do, most people don't fly that often. He said, people like you and me, we have TSA pre-checks. We don't have to deal with these friggin' lunatics. Um, which is, you know, why the only reason I have it, I'll pay the extra money in order not to talk to these McDonald workers. McDonald's Absolutely. Workers. Um, but you know, most people, do not have to um, deal with the TSA on a regular basis. So if it's once a year or once every three years, it's not a big deal to them. This is every single day. Strap on the mask. Don't get too close to me. 
I mean, and people are just still buying. I mean, people, no, let's say, let me not say people are buying it. People have bought it hook, line and sinker. It's become a religion. It's become clothing. And I mean, yes, you know, you and I know a lot of people who are not into it. You and I, you and I know it because of our crowd. But once you get out into normie land and you start talking about, it's like, Hey, when do you, when are you going to take the mask off? And then one person said, well, when the vaccine comes out, it's like, okay. And then Fauci just recently said, well, if 10% of the, it's not going to work for 10% of the people, we're going to have to keep wearing the mask even after the vaccine. And people are like, oh yeah, that, that seems reasonable. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I just, you know, take care of yourself and stop, stop what this politics is going to save us. Stop with this policy, even on the local level. Talk to some people who've ran for local office or held local office, and they will tell you it's as dirty as anything you've ever heard. I used to know a dude who was a mayor of a local town here in Georgia, and he's like, I aged, he said, I was mayor for two years. I aged 20 years. He goes, it was just awful dealing with these people. And, you know, I mean, if, like I said, if you're a libertarian and, you know, if you're not a Machiavellian, you're, not going to be able to do anything. You're not going to be able to institute any kind of change whatsoever. And so it's like, I would rather any money that you put towards it, put towards yourself, buy crypto, buy land, buy gold, buy silver, buy whatever you think, buy guns, ammunition, because, you know, those are going to hold their value. Um, and take care of yourself, figure out, you know, find, you know, I've, John Bush it had, came up with the idea of freedom cells and, we started one around here. There was one that was started and I was like, all right, I want to join. And, you know, it's like, I don't want to be the celebrity podcaster joining. I just want to do my part and come in and, you know, let's get this going. And we have, and, you know, we're all getting to know each other personally and we're going to, then we'll try and figure out who the fed is. And, um, and we'll go from there. <laughs> no, I, you know, I kind of joked about it earlier, you know, saying that I studied political science and got out because I didn't like it, but that's exactly it. You realize very early on, I'm glad I had the foresight early on to say, there's nothing to be gained here. I, I, I'm not going to get any, get anywhere. You know, I, and, and that was always the thing is like, you need so much money to even get involved, to even attempt to accomplish something. And even then, you know, it's, it's pretty tough. And those who give you money, they hold, they, they hold sway over you. So, I mean, what do you, what do you do? I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a politics as it's done in the United States and most of the West. Libertarian is not going to be able to ever get anything done in it, uh, get anything done the way it needs to be done because as soon as they start getting success in it, and as soon as they start, bringing power to themselves and centralizing power to themselves. They're not a libertarian anymore. So. Yeah. It's well, almost like you need that iron fist. It's either that or they get voted out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or they, or they get forced out, you know, or they, right. you know, no one will, no one will deal with them. No one will work with them. Right. You know, so, you know, I mean, look at, I mean, they always come after Massey and you know, I know Massey, uh, you know, I have a friend who's a lobbyist in DC and he says, you know, we don't even bother with Massey and everything, but I mean, what has Massey been able to do? I mean, I think in the first term of Trump, they helped, you know, the, him and Rand Paul and um, 
Justin Amash. I remember them getting something done and everything, but I mean, it's going to be over. This is politics. There's a, there's a new white house coming in. They're just going to overturn everything that was done that we would consider to maybe be positive. It'll just be reversed and it'll be reversed with an executive order. So it, it's it, like, I mean, what do you, <laughs> you know, it seems like the most you can do is throw wrenches, right? Massey's a good example of that. Um, you know, he, he caused a lot of uproar when he, when he held up uh, the, I think it was the first stimulus bill, right? Made, made people actually come to vote, you know, do what they're supposed to do. Um, and, and I think that's, that's positive, but you know, what else has he been able to accomplish uh, than that? You know, you, you make good points. I think the, uh, there's a documentary, the swamp kind of really exposed a lot of stuff that people don't know about, you know, uh, us four sitting here may have a, a little bit higher knowledge of what's going on in the background than, than a lot of people do just because we're interested in, we look at it, but, but people could really do themselves a service by watching that just to see what's going on. Um, it's pretty interesting stuff. Interesting might not be the right word. <laughs> uh, it's be infuriating most likely, you know, absolutely. It's also, you know, if you want to watch something like that, look at it and go, okay, so if if a libertarian got elected, what could he do about it and still be a libertarian? Yeah, no, it's, it's a catch 22. It really mm-hmm. is. That's the, the thing that I've, uh, I, I can't believe it took me kind of this long to just admit it. It was always there. And it's not like my beliefs on any level have been changed fundamentally. It's like when I watch the news, it's like, yeah, I would still like to see the wars ended. I want to see the Fed, uh, you know, collapse the monetary system, which I think that one might be inevitable, right? I mean, like Ron Paul always talked about, it'll end when they go bankrupt and they break the dollar, which I'm not sure when that's going to be because I can't believe to this point they've been able to kick the can down the road uh, with all the QE and interest rate manipulation. But uh it's like you're just kind of sitting back observing because there is nothing that's going to change it at this point. Um, you know, Jeff Dice had a video that was, uh, it was titled on YouTube, Why the U.S. is Past the Point of No Return. And he makes the argument that just strictly financially, if the federal government and Congress wanted to really buckle down and get their shit together and try to balance the budget and pay off the debt, what year would that have been? And he thinks it's really 2001. He's like, even if they did everything perfect from 2001 on, it's still going to happen. The question is, how long can you delay it? How long can you get people to buy your debt? And they've been able to do it for, you know, essentially another 20 years here. So I don't know, maybe they can do it another 20 years from here. But until then, yeah. why bother with politics? Like, why do it? Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You're not going to move the needle. Um, I, I mean, God bless the people who want to try and do it locally. Yeah, but it's like I always say, you know, um, I forget, I forget who said. I think it was Aaron from Friends Against Government. It's like, oh, you get like, um, or no, I think Bird said it. Yeah, so you reduce property taxes like three percent, and then that person gets voted out, and they raise it six percent when the next person gets in there. It's like that's what politics is. Mm-hmm. It's just you're two steps forward, um, one step forward, two steps back. So you know, I mean, there's there's not going to be any permanent change unless there is a collapse. And <laughs> collapse isn't going to be good. I mean, read your, I mean, there, there are some things that Marx and Engels got right. You just cannot have a collapse. You know, Marx and Engels talked that they hated the friggin' anarchists. The anarchists just wanted to overthrow the, throw the state. And they knew that the people who own the state, the capitalists would just buy it, would still own everything. They'd still run everything. They'd still be in power. 
That's why they devised a plan where eventually the capitalists would have to be moved out or killed. And then they would have their communist utopia, which never happened. But, um, but they still, they, I think that's a good understanding of if everything just collapses at once, it really doesn't solve anything. It has to be done in a certain way um, to take, you know, take the system down. Like it would have to be like a plan of some way to dismantle the system from the outside and to, or even from the inside to bring it down to the point where it's so weak and useless that it's, it's useless. They can't, no one can use it for anything. Um, But just the system collapsing like that, they're just going to, I guarantee you, they already have the next currency set up. It's already, it's already programmed into the computer. They're just, they're waiting for it. The keys, it'll just be keystrokes again. It'll all be digital. So, you know, and then it'll all, you know, and they could do it. They could do what the technocrats in the 1930s talked about. Oh, we're going to give you this, this amount of money. And you're going to use it within 30 days or it all disappears. And what does that do? It means that people can't become wealthy anymore because they can't save. If they don't use it, it disappears. <laughs> Technocrats have been talking about that since the 1920s and 1930s. And that's what digital currency is going to be, in my opinion. I mean, really, do you think they're going to send money to your phone and then it's going to be, you're going to be able to save it up and you're going to have a million dollars on your phone? No, they're going to be. I got to change gears a little bit, I haven't heard anybody really answer this question. With things like uh, like and crypto in general, what is stopping like a central bank from just creating, uh, you know, let's say multiple accounts and just buying a ton of uh, crypto and then pumping and dumping the market? Is there? How do you know that's not that what they're doing right? Now? How do you know that's not happening right now? The, and that's, I mean, Bitcoin, that's what I'm asking because whenever, Bitcoin, and they were doing yeah. it with, I, well, I was going to say, I think, yeah, with, with Bitcoin, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's also a lot of boomers that don't really understand what crypto is and they think that it's a good thing to get in on. So then they get in and then they create a bubble and then it's as soon as there's a five to 10. Yeah. Well, I, you're not well, going to get enough boomers to create a bubble. Well, what, what do you think? It, I know that they're saying like some Japanese uh, retirement funds were getting in on it a few years ago when it ran up to 20 K before. So obviously, I think right now there's going to be a big correction uh, because right now it's just people all thinking that they're it's a gold rush. But when you look at like uh, gold prices, did you? I mean, obviously you paid attention like in March and April how gold was running up and the premiums were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it just didn't make any sense. And it's like, how is the price not going up? But the premiums. And it's because central banks seem to be dumping on the market is, or, or they're, they're buying or dumping moving paper around. And it's like, you wonder like, yeah, why would they not do that with Bitcoin? And what is the answer to that? If we can't have crypto, this thing that's supposed to be like this decentralized privacy currency, if that's not out of control, then, then what really is? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. 2017 was a number of things, but it was mostly, um, a lot of ICOs coming in and the fact that Bitcoin what is the basically like the default currency. So if you wanted to buy um, at that time, Ethereum on an exchange, you had to buy Bitcoin first in most exchanges, you know, Coinbase, you could just buy Ethereum, but in order to buy all these coins that were being invented at the time, you had to buy Bitcoin in order to buy them. And that's what caused, you know, in my opinion, and 
the opinion of the experts, what caused that run up. And then people saw it start running up and then people started more, I heard stories of people's mortgaging their houses and got in high. You know, so I had a couple of people ask me today, oh, do you think I should buy now? I'm like, what, at the top of the market? What are you, what are you stupid? You know, I mean, it, history is going to, history of Bitcoin dictates it's going to go back down at some point. I mean, I just, I don't see it running up yet. It's not, you know, you would need, a lot of people you would need a good por a a good portion of the population buying in and people putting in big amounts too i mean you'd have to see a lot of big amounts going in there but i mean i i mean and, and there's always a run up at the end of the year um so that's one thing to look at not as big as this but it was remember 2017 it was at the end of the year where you had the run up and everything so I don't know. You know, I mean, I know people who say, you know, I've read articles, people said that BTC was, um, was compromised that the developers, you know, there are, there are developers on BTC, the, the main blockchain who are socialists, who are, um, the theocrats. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, people say, well, you know, trust the technology and everything. And, you know, like a friend of mine says, um, the Silicon is bulletproof, but the carbon is flawed. And, you know, whenever you have people involved in something, sure, the technology of, of Bitcoin, of the blockchain is friggin' phenomenal, but you have people controlling certain chains and you, you have to ask yourself, you know, what are the intentions of those people? So, I mean, I don't 100%, you know, and, and Brian Sharp, Hotep Jesus, you know, he's like, he doesn't, he's like, look, I'm just using this to make money right now. He's like, I don't trust it. He goes, I'm just using it to make money right now. And that's a smart dude. That's a, that's a dude who, you know, a modern day philosopher who needs to be listened to. So, you know, when he says something, I listen to it. And it, it, it's just thoughts that I've had before is that, um, yeah, I mean, the reason I'm in crypto right now is preservation, uh, preservation and growth of Federal Reserve notes. And maybe those Federal Reserve notes won't be, um, won't be worth anything um, at some point. Oh, well, you know, don't, don't put into it anything that you're any more than you're not um, willing to lose, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, I just don't see how something like that, like Bitcoin and all the, in the 11 years that somehow it hasn't been infiltrated by the state. It just doesn't make any sense to me because anytime something good happens, the state infiltrates it right away. And everybody wants to point to the technology. It's like, yeah, but the technology doesn't operate on its own. I mean, it does to a certain extent, but there are th people called developers. Okay. So yeah, man, that's all I got on that. Sure. Um, I, I want to ask you another question that I've been mean to ask somebody that knows more than myself. Um, and I apologize if this has come up before I jumped in, but um, as far as this, I keep hearing about it on a bunch of different platforms. Um, this great reset. Are you up to date on anything about that? Or, or can you shed any light on what exactly that means or what people are? Sure. it will be easy. Go, go listen to their podcast. The world economic economic forum has a podcast about the great reset where they're going to reset everything where, you know, we need to make sure that capital, that capitalism is more equal for everyone on the planet. And um, you know, the one thing that they said was, that we saw the way that the public responded to COVID-19. Oh, 
when we come out and start talking about climate change and how it's going to help humanity be killed, they'll react the same way. And th these people are just learning. World Economic Forum came into existence with Klaus Schwab, who is dressing like a friggin' science sci-fi villain now when he gives speeches. It's absolutely amazing. He dresses like a Klingon. And he's, he founded it in 1971. He's still alive. The same year that they went off, officially went off the gold standard. I don't think there's any coincidence there. And they've been looking to reset the system to something that's more in line with socialism, world government, you know, whatever people want to call it. Um, and they've got plans. And one of the one of the phrases that they used is build back better that, you know, all this is happening. We need to build back better. And Joe Biden has said that president of New Zealand has said it. Um, what's his name in England with the, the English Trump, Boris Johnson, He's used the phrase, Macron has used the phrase, um, basically every Western leader has used the phrase build back better, which is the world, which points towards the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. And like I said, they have a podcast. They'll tell you what they're doing. They'll, they're not hiding it. And that's the best part is that we're in the, it could only happen in the dim age where they come out and they say it. They say, this is exactly what we're doing. They put out articles in 2016 and say, by 2030, you're not going to own anything and you're going to love it. And they've, been they've been telling us. And then, I mean, and perfect, perfect. Last eight months. Oh, you mean people will stay inside if they think they're going to get sick and possibly die? 30-year-olds are, are riding in their cars alone wearing masks when it's all septuagenarians and octogenarians that are dying from this oh they got it they got us man they got us it's i mean it's to me it's almost an inevitability now that the great reset that they're going to have some kind of global reset of some sort and um you know i you know it's like vin armani says get to accept you know get past the stages of grief real quick and get to acceptance and then once you get to acceptance you can start making plans for yourself and for the people you love because it's an inevitable it's in just inevitable at this time they don't want to these people do not want to fight they do not you there's know, no like i said earlier there's no line in the sand you know the exact moment i lost hope i can actually pinpoint it i was at walmart in april and obviously people are walking around with masks, but there's one guy who just has a sheet of plexiglass that he like cut with a pair of shears and he had masking tape and he had his, his plexiglass wrapped around his forehead and just a band of masking tape going around his head, shielding his face. And it's just covered in fog. And that dude was picking up, uh, he had his cart full of like ice cream sandwiches and like Fritos and he was just booking it through Walmart. And I'm like, that's it. We're, we're cooked. You know, that's one guy that symbolizes everything that's happening. <laughs> I thought you were just yeah. going to leave that statement at I was in Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the toilet paper one was another one too, where I, I was watching people fill up with toilet paper, but then you would go by the soup aisle and see the non-perishables 10 for $10 on sale, fully stocked. No one's buying food. They're all buying toilet paper. I'm like, what do you need the toilet paper for? If you're not buying food, <laughs> their, their priorities are so backwards in the time of uh, an emergency. I guess one thing that, 
makes me a little bit hopeful. I mean, not hopeful for the future, just hopeful in the temp in temporarily is that um, I went down the toilet paper and paper towel aisle today and it was full. So people in Georgia are not expecting Kemp to shut everything down. So um, yeah, I don't see him doing it um, unless they come after him, unless they come after his governorship or something like that um, and try to kick him out. So you know, we'll see. But I, that wouldn't have anything to do with COVID. That would just have to do with the fact that the Democrats are a whole lot better at consolidating power than than the Republicans ever were. Yeah, and then I think you know the the Democrats play it best with consolidating power and changing the rules to the game, and then the Republicans kind of play catch up behind them, and then libertarians refuse to play the game altogether. Yeah, that's the Machiavellian way, man. If you're gonna if you're gonna survive in politics and thrive in politics you have to be a machiavellian and you know to get back to the old libertarian thing libertarians can't do that because there's this thing called the non-aggression principle and there's ethics and um consistency consistently be the most consistent people loaded onto the boxcars it's uh yeah well <laughs> i think we're coming up on time here uh mike or chad is there anything you guys want to close with and talk about you know, just to kind of further on what you said there, Pete, um, the, it seems like the reason that libertarianism doesn't work is inherently libertarian. You know, it's kind of rooted in individualism, right? Yeah. So, so I, uh, it, it's just, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know. It's just kind of a funny thing. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that it's something you get a lot of, um, you know, kind of, kind of a dark attitude towards it, which I can, you know, I can uh, definitely see. Um, sympathize with because it, it, there's very few uh, areas of light to see right now looking around but do you have any hope or optimism or anything that you see on the horizon where things could take a uh, more optimistic approach i think that in order to survive this and everything it's just people are going to have to individuals are going to have to come together and form collectives and you know i mean federalism may come into it like I said, you know, I mean, if, are you all in Illinois or just two of you? Yeah. We're all okay. in Illinois. Okay. Unfortunately, so, yeah. Yeah. So right now I probably have more freedom than you guys do mm -hmm. as far as COVID lockdowns and all the stuff, mandates and everything like that. Um, that may help, you know, Vin Armani went to Saipan because he knew that the culture there would never allow any of this would, you know, he talks about how you don't see masks outdoors. They do masks indoors, like in stores and stuff like that, but you know, no one's wearing a mask. It's a, it's one culture. He said pretty much everyone on the Island is related to each other in some way, shape or form. So, you know, there's going to be no fighting and they're going to, they're, they're not going to, because they're a Commonwealth, they're, you know, I mean, the federal government, they're not going to care because it's not like people are leaving there and flooding into the mainland or anything like that. Um, so I think there is a chance for federalism, but I think there's, um, there's more of a chance for people to concentrate on themselves, build wealth for themselves. And, you know, money talks, money is power. And I think the more powerful you become personally, the easier it will be to fight this. I mean, I think it could get to the point where things get so bad, even for government workers, you'd be able to pay people off to leave you alone. You know, I mean, I think this election proves we're in, we're entering banana Republic territory when it comes to politics. So, you know, why wouldn't you be able to, you know, slip 
slip a hundred dollar, you know, hundred dollar bill to somebody just to leave you alone at some point. Um, but I think that it's all going to be done. It's not going to be done by the government. You know, if, if there is a vaccine mandate or something like that, it's going to be your employers. It's going to be, um, it's, it's going to be private companies. It's going to be Kroger or Publix or Albertsons or businesses like that who now have been turned into police. And it's like, well, you can't shop here unless you, um, you know, unless you have the vaccine or you can't work at your job anymore unless you have the vaccine. You can't fly unless you have the vaccine. You know, I, I think that's the way things are going. And um, maybe you have a better chance of paying off you know, the local grocery store owner to, you know, leave you alone and let you go about your business, then, um, you know, you have to go the agorist way uh, for a lot of, a lot of things. Um, I think things could get better. I just don't see it. I mean, you know, I, I, when all those, when I was making fun of all those people who said that COVID would go away after the election, secretly, I'm like, man, I hope you're right everything, but I just knew they were wrong. I mean, I just knew that this was a whole lot about a whole lot more than the election because it was worldwide. I mean, how does Australia having lockdowns hurt Trump? It just never made any sense to me. It just, you know, then you go back and you look at event 201 from last year and, you know, I don't care about the pandemic um, simulation, but how they said that they would handle, handle a pandemic well, that's all come true. So, I mean, I just, I think at this point, you just really have to take care of yourself and your family, save as much as you can, stop spending stupid amount. If you're in debt, get the hell out of debt, maybe plant a garden, maybe buy some land. I've looked at land in the mountains here um, and just take care of yourself and find like-minded people. Like I said earlier, find like-minded people, figure out what you want to do figure out who the Fed is, you know, bury the body and um, go on. All right. That sounds like a pretty good place to wrap up. Uh, Pete, do you have any, <laughs> you have any, <laughs> any plugs or uh, any let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah. Free man beyond the wall podcast uh, on all the podcatchers, um, the monopoly on violence.com did a documentary with my friends, Robert and Chris. And a lot of people say it's doing really well. And um, a lot of people love it. And um I think it struck a nerve because Amazon won't, Amazon won't okay it to go on their platform. So um, I, I think it could scare a couple, might scare a couple people. Um, and then um, I also do a um, sub stack. I'm on, I'm managing editor at Libertarian Institute. I put stuff on there, but I, I started a sub stack and that's pretty much for my rants. So it's uh Pekinona's um, substack.substack.com. And I've been ranting a lot lately and it's funny you wanted to talk about libertarianism and I just released an article like two, three hours ago, just talking about how the libertarian party is just politically can't, will never have political power. And it's pretty much all the arguments I made here. And um, yeah, that's about it. You know, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on MeWe. I think a lot of um, libertarians are leaving Facebook and seeing a lot of people on MeWe. So uh, not even going to mention Facebook anymore. Fair enough. I did see your documentary and that was phenomenal. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thank you.
is glorifying or defending or making a hero out of Ted Kaczynski. Um, we are 100% against violence, um, against violent people or nonviolent people every step of the way. Um, he was simply drawing a parallel about his manifesto that was talking about how technology is enslaving mankind. Um, it's a very interesting theory that really deserves to be discussed. And um, Curtis Yarvin was also the name that was mentioned in the uh, the first episode with Matt Erickson. And, and that's what Nick wanted to draw the parallel between. And I let him pick the, pick the topic here. And uh, it, it's a very interesting topic for, for people who um, subscribe to the uh, libertarian type mindset. But um, once again, I just want to make it clear that nobody is is defending or making any sort of hero out of Ted Kaczynski whatsoever. Um, this is something we just wanted to to kind of discuss a little bit and get Pete's take on. Um, now, Pete is formerly known as Man's Raider. Um, he is the host of Free Man Beyond the Wall and also uh, one of the creators of one of the popular documentaries called The Monopoly on Violence, which is about uh, the government and, and you know the state in general. Um, he's a brilliant mind. He's a very well-known podcaster, and I- I'm so grateful that he gave us his time of day. Um, once again, if you guys have not already done so, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Um, give us some guest ideas. Uh, you know, your, your positive feedback. Um, let me know what you think of our intro, anything you want to critique about the show or what we can improve on or what you like about it. Please let us know. That helps us, uh, uh, going forward and and help us make changes to what we want to do. And also, if you want to donate to the show one time or monthly, you can click on the link in the show notes. Um, there's a link there where you can just set it up and just pay one time or pay monthly to help us pay for our equipment and advertising. That would be much appreciated. But without further ado, please welcome my brother, Nick Paul, my good buddy and fellow lover of liberty, Chad Webster, and the one, the only, Pete Quinones. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 